Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to Beyond the Bench, and you are listening live to Season 4, Episode 13. Guys, the band is sounding especially nice tonight on this crisp I know. Sunday oh, night. And the band sounds fantastic. You have. Yep. I'm glad they stole them. <laughs> well, we had a couple weeks, and they continue to practice. Um, and you know our theme, just try to be better. And I'm just trying to get them better every day. Just 1%, a little bit we can do, but uh, yeah, so hey, here we are. Um, we're talking on a Sunday night. This will be released on a Tuesday. Uh, had our first winter weather of the, the season here, uh, guys, and I hope it's the last. <laughs> I don't know if I can take another, uh, another load of snow like that. A lot of yeah, shoveling this week. That was a heavy snow, and I was glad my neighbor showed up when he did. Now, now Jarvis. Yeah. Oh no, he's got a he's got tractors and a four wheeler. Oh. All the toys. I need. To, I mean, that's. I'm getting too old for this shoveling stuff. You know, the, the, the more important thing is though, Scott. You need to get a friend with a tractor. Oh, I don't. I don't have any of those. Or you guys you are my only friend. friends. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Jarvis, most most of our listeners out there, Jarvis, say you should be in plenty of shape for shoveling because that's all you ever do is shovel it. But I, I'm not oh, going to go there. Oh, oh. Was I was I not muted there when I said that? I oh, thought no. I was muted. I'm sorry. Uh, I think you turned your volume up, Aaron. Wow. <laughs> Welcome to episode 13, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we appreciate Aaron's contribution to be on the bench, but he won't be back. <laughs> <laughs> well, you shouldn't have given me the closing thoughts tonight, then, because then I have the chalk last, fellas. You know what happens when you give the guy the chalk oh, last. Know, you're you? going to scroll the points. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it, it's uh, winter's going to hit us eventually sometime, and uh, but you know, it looks okay. The rest of 10 days it's, and I know Aaron's going to talk about it maybe a little bit later. He kind of previewed yeah. with me a little bit what he's going to talk about, but it is January. It is Iowa. And, uh, you can expect some of that. And we just continue to do what we do. We schedule games and we reschedule games and we hope we have officials. And yes. uh, that's the biggest thing. Officials and drivers. Yep. You know, it, it's kind of funny. I, of course, Thursday night and, the timing of this in Western Iowa was horrible for a superintendent. I talked oh. to my superintendent, you know, and it wasn't going to start till, well, they said maybe 11. It was actually about one. Yeah. And, you know, so I, you had to be out then, but you didn't know when it was going to start. And it was a tough call yeah. uh, for superintendents that, that day. And, you know, I don't, any decision you make is, right or wrong whatever the it's, case might yeah. be but. depends on who you depends on whose comment you want to read in the facebook post yeah. <laughs> you get that's, them all that's why you stay off facebook right yeah yeah well hey let's go ahead and uh get her cranked up let's go ahead and, and thank our sponsors or be on the bench all right do you want your athletic program to stand out on social media well now you can with gipper Using Gipper, you can create and share professional sports graphics to social media in seconds on any device without needing design experience. 
Try Gipper out for free at gogipper.com backslash athletics. You can also catch Matthew Glick on his podcast, Standout, um, as well. So encourage you to catch him on that. Again, thanks to Gipper for being part of the BTB family. And if you're looking to upgrade your social media stats or status, check him out. And Superfan, Superfan Inc., as a leader in the industry, Superfan has spent the last 10 years innovating and changing how schools approach fan engagement, ticketing, fundraising, and more. The Superfan platform includes their customized app, and they make it fit for your school by choosing from dozens of engagement features designed with your students in mind. From communication to ticketing to fundraising, check out Superfan Inc., and let them work for you and your school. Let the varsity bound software manage your team's information so you can experience and build your legacy. Varsity bound provides everything parents need to enjoy the season right in one place. They can get all the web or in the varsity bound app. Thank you to varsity bound. Hey, are you an AD looking to save time or making your job a little less stressful? How about looking for ways to improve the fan experience at your games? BTB suggests you take a look at Hometown Ticketing. They provide schools with everything needed to offer professional-level online ticketing at absolutely no cost to your school or athletic program without the need to create an account, remember a password, or download an app. From individual game tickets to customized season pass programs, our friends at Hometown Ticketing can customize an entire ticketing platform for your program and it won't cost your athletic program anything to get started. So check them out at www.hometownticketing.com and enroll your school today. And many of you heard our interview in season three when we had former high school athletic director and author Jamie Beckler on the show. Jamie also has an online leadership program that is great for coaches and student athletes. I believe in the leadership playbook so much that I purchased it for our entire athletic department. The price is incredible when you consider all of the resources and video lessons that are included. Plus, you get access to Jamie, and he'll even do a free virtual presentation for your staff. I highly recommend it, so make sure you check out theleadershipplaybook.com and Jamie Beckler. Well, thank you to all of our sponsors, and uh, boy, I am excited for our guest tonight, uh, uh, Scott. I'm going to hand this off to you awesome. and uh, let you introduce our guest. Well, I'm excited to introduce uh, Coach Johnson this evening. Based on what transpired in a few short, impactful moments in 2006, Coach Jim Johnson is on the subject of realizing your dreams. He has developed a winning high school programs for 30 years, taking over programs and turning them into winners in a short period of time. 420 career victories. One in particular was surely never created. On February 15, 2006, Coach Kindhearted yes. Gesture and serving his autistic manager, Jason McAlween, to the world as Jay Mack into Greece, Athena High School's final home. So Trojans 179-43. Jay Mack for 20 points in just over four minutes, including baskets to become an instant national celebrity. Coach was featured in major news outlets around the country. And Coach Johnson, we are super excited to have you this evening. It's my pleasure. I'm really looking forward to it. And I, I know you guys have been talking a little bit about your snow. And we have a, a blizzard coming. Uh, supposed to get 14 oh, yeah. inches tonight. So uh, oh, hopefully uh, 
we'll uh, all right, we'll well, through. We shouldn't even be complaining here then. <laughs> I was actually going to wondering, Coach, where you live at. You know, we're talking about our snow here, but that's just a, like an every other day thing for you out there, isn't it? Well, you know what? We we used to get it worse than we have recently. Uh, but, uh, you know, when we get a snowstorm, um, it's not afraid to come down. That's for yeah. sure. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, Coach, we'll, we'll get Just start off with this. Just tell us about your journey through your and, and what you're doing today. Sure. I, uh, I, I grew up in a, an athletic family. My uh, dad was actually my high school basketball coach, and uh, I had three younger brothers and two sisters that all were involved in athletics as well. So, uh, of course, uh, like a, probably a lot of young kids, when I was in high school, I thought I was a much better player than I actually was and thought I was going to play in the NBA eventually. And then, uh, <laughs> actually, I got to uh, college and got cut from my college team. So I realized that... Uh, not only was I uh, not nearly as good as I thought, but uh, if you don't make your college team, it's hard to play in the NBA. So that dream kind of uh, went away. And uh, I decided that I wanted to follow my father's footsteps and be a teacher and a coach. So I, that's what I did. And uh, early on, uh, I was a, a JV coach for a couple of years at uh, one of the schools in my hometown called Greece, New York, which is a suburb of Rochester. And after three years as assistant, uh, my dream came true. I became a head coach at a school about 20 minutes from where I grew up. And I was excited. And even though this program wasn't in very good shape, I thought with my great coaching acumen, I was going to lead this team from the outhouse to the penthouse. And uh, we uh, we started one and one so I thought we were okay. And then with my great coaching wizardry, I led that team to 17 consecutive losses. And uh, then I ended up leaving that job because I didn't like what the administration had to say to me. Of course, what they said to me was you're fired. And uh, that was a pretty humbling experience. Uh, but it ended up probably being as much as it was probably not only my most humbling, but very frustrating at the time. You know, I think you know it all. Uh, but it really helped me. Um, I got a break. The next year, I actually... I got called by a local junior college coach, and ironically, at this time, um, you probably wouldn't have known his name, but now if you follow the NBA, you definitely know his name, because uh, a coach that recruited me was a guy named Bill Van Gundy, yeah. and his sons, Jeff and Stan, uh, at that time, were was a uh, college coach and a high school coach, but ended up being head coaches in the NBA, so... Uh, Coach Van Gundy kind of took me under my wing, and, and then I really got into my own personal growth. And after that, I was able to uh, take over another program in a smaller town, and I we were able to turn that around in two years. We had a winning record after they only won two games uh, the first or the uh, year before I, I took over with the staff. And then uh, I my big dream was I wanted to come back. My hometown is a pretty big town. We had three high schools growing up. And now there's four. And my dream was to go back and, and coach in my hometown and be a teacher and coach there. And after a couple of years at the small school, although I loved it there, I got an opportunity to come back to my hometown. And I actually uh, was uh, one of the uh, jobs in my hometown opened up basketball wise. And I, I got that. And that was a real project. Uh, that program was in dire straits. They had one winning season in the last 10 years. They were, they were two years before we got there, they were two and 40. So we had a lot of work to do. 
And uh, we actually had a winning season our second year. And of course, then I thought I, I was a know-it-all and we did such a great job that the third year we went back and won two games. So uh, <laughs> but, uh, between those uh, few humbling circumstances, um, actually, we stayed with our vision in, in our last three years. We had three of the best seasons in school history. And then uh, I got an opportunity to go from there to one of our rival schools. And for many reasons, I won't get into it's too long a story, but I ended up applying for their job when it opened up and I was offered it. And it was called Greece Athena High School. And that's where I coached my last 20 years. And fortunately, although they had a losing season the year before we got there, um, we never had a losing season with 20 consecutive years. Yeah. And um, so we were winning a lot of basketball games, but after about seven years, my other big stumbling block in my career, as, as you guys all being in athletics know, is that you're often measured as a coach on how you do in the postseason. And there we were stumbling. Uh, we had not gone very deep into the sectional tournament. We finally got to the sectional semifinals because at the school previous, we, our last three years, we got to the semifinals, but we were not able to get to the finals. And then after eight years, we had gotten to one semifinal and then something really unique happened. Uh, we had a young man come into our program. His name was Jason McElwain. He's on the autism spectrum. I mean, he was a little guy back then. He was like five, six, maybe 90 pounds. And he tried out for our JV team. And uh, my JV coach came to me and said, coach, Jason's is a terrible player, but man, does he have a big heart. And I, I think we should keep him in the program. I said, well, what do you got in mind? He says, we're going to offer him the team manager's job and I'll let him practice with the team. And that's what he did. And it was pretty cool. And there were some trials and tribulations because, you know, we that was back in 2003. So uh, although autism was starting to get a little bit more prevalent, we didn't know much about it. Uh, but after a while, because our culture had been pretty good in the program, the kids started really embracing because they could see that he really loved basketball and he really wanted to do well for the team. And he would actually sit on the bench for both games and it always warmed my heart because he would get what I call a tad emotional during the JV game. <laughs> and at the end of the JV game, he always would come dressed in a white shirt and black tie and he would be all disheveled. And one of our varsity players after the JV game would always come out and straighten him out. And uh, it was always pretty nice to see. Mm. And that year, Jason's sophomore year, we ended up making the semifinals again. Now for the fifth time in my career, but we got beat again. So Jason uh, tries out. And what was really unique about Jason was that I, I've had other team managers, but no one was ever that committed. Not only that he was committed to the team, but he came to all our off season. And between his sophomore and junior year, when he's trying out for the varsity, I was really getting attached to him. I was picking him up and because he, he loved basketball. And I love basketball. So we we're always talking basketball. He tries <laughs> out for the varsity, the junior, and he doesn't make the team, but I offer him the team manager's job. And that year, he, in our first team meeting, uh, he says, Coach, we, we're going to do something different this year. I said, what's that? We're going to develop this slogan called Stay Focused, and we're going to help you win your first Section 5 championship. And I said, well, thanks, Jason. And we go and have a uh, season again. And we get to the semifinal now for the sixth time in my career, and we lose at the buzzer to our crosstown rival. And we are devastated. But again, I was just so impressed because Jason came back more bound and determined to make the team as a senior. And when he came in a senior year for tryouts, and then after a couple of days of tryouts, I brought him and said, Jason, I got some good news and some bad news. And he says, coach, give me the bad news first. I said, well, unfortunately, you're still not quite good enough to make the team. 
And he was really visibly upset now. And I said, but I do have some good news. And his head kind of popped back up. And he said, well, what's, what do you got in mind? And I says, I'm going to get you a uniform for our final home game, which we called senior night, where we honor all the seniors and hopefully get you in the game. So as I kid people, periodically he would ask me during the season about that uniform. And, of course, I define periodically as about every other day. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, well, going through that season, we were expected to have a good team. We had a lot returning from the previous season. But what happened was I wrote a book called The Coach and a Miracle about it uh, because the ironic thing about this season, it, it was the first half of the season was the most difficult season I ever had in my coaching career up to that. And then after that, uh, because we had a lot of internal strife. It's too long a story. It is in the book. So people are interested. Um, the book's called The Coach and a Miracle. And, but anyways, it divided the team. And as good as this team was, we had started out, we won a tip-off tournament, and, we, and I thought things were going to be really good. But we really went into a, a downfall. We lost four out of our next six games, I think. And uh, actually, we went into a Christmas tournament, and we were like five and four or something. And I was just beside myself because we were so much better than that. But And that, that was the turning point. Uh, and Jason was just trying to – he didn't understand what was going on, but – uh, you know, we were just trying to hang in there. And actually, uh, we uh, played in this tournament at this big school in our in our community that was really good that year. And the reason I got in the tournament was because I thought we were going to be good, but not the way we were playing. And so yeah. we won in the opening round, and we were playing this big school the next night called Fairport High School, which is the biggest school in Rochester. And I brought him in because it was during Christmas break for a shoot-around. And I, you know, normally a shoot around, we have, it's about an hour practice. We usually do some shooting drills and go over some of our plays and the, our opponent's plays. But I, I knew I'd do something different because the team was in disarray. So I sat him down in the bleachers. We didn't bring any basketballs out. And I shocked him. I looked him right in the eye and I said, guys, I don't want to go to the game tonight. And they looked at me in dis dismay. Like, what do you mean you don't want to go to the game? And I just said to him, I said, guys, Unless we decide we're going to unite, Fairport's going to be us by 50 points tonight. And But the best thing I did, you know, I do a lot of leadership talks, is I, is I gave them a little five-minute motivational speech. But but the best thing I did is I said, guys, I don't have all the answers. You guys got to be willing to open up. And they finally did. And we started to have a good conversation. And by the end of the that hour, uh, we just talked. And that night, and manifested, we, uh, I, I wish I could add, say that we beat Fairport, but we didn't. We lost them in overtime. Mm -hmm. But it showed what we could do. And there we got some momentum. We won eight over the next nine games going into senior night. And senior night, for those that are listening that aren't familiar, at least in our area, it's our last home game. Mm -hmm. We honor all the seniors before the, the game. And we bring their parents and guardians out. And I'll never forget, you know, to see Jason. I'd given him his uniform, number 52. In fact, there was a rumor going around school that he slept in it for a couple nights. <laughs> and, uh, but it was way too big. Uh, and he didn't care. But to see him embrace his parents in uniform was a memory I will always cherish, uh, you know, instead of his white shirt and black tie. So uh, it was the last regular season game for us. And I got him in with just over four minutes to go and the place just erupted. And what I didn't know, I'm usually a fairly macho guy. I usually don't cry at basketball games. But when he got on the floor with just over four minutes to go, our student body, we had a good following that year and they called themselves a six man. 
they one of our parents had made the, all these placards, these pictures of Jason's face and put them on paint sticks. And Jason and I had no idea. Hmm. So when Jason enters the game, our student body gives them a standing ovation and they show all these placards and Mr. Macho, me, I sit down, which I rarely did during games and I'm crying my eyes out. I just yeah. can't believe what's happening. Well, he gets in the game and the, you know, the people are just going crazy. And, and so the first shot he gets is a three pointer from the right corner. He lets it go. The crowd kind of stands in anticipation. It misses by like six feet. <laughs> and, you know, I can't people, I know you're not supposed to pray in the public schools, but I'm praying dear God. <laughs> but one of the great lessons that I share a lot when I talk about presentations is the fact that, you know, think about when you've had an opportunity in your life and it didn't go well initially. You know, how many people just quit? Listening, I missed his first shot, it was an air ball, and he, it wasn't even close. But, you know, one of the things we taught our guys is, you know, next play, you got to be moving on. And Jason illustrated that. He just moved on. Next possession, he actually got a much shorter shot from about 10 feet. And he shoots this time, he hits it and hits the backboard and hits the rim and it falls out. The crowd grows. And I'm thinking, all right, God's starting to listen. We're getting closer. (laughs) And then uh, the third, third possession, he makes a three-pointer, and the place just erupts. And I'm thinking to myself, God must be a basketball fan. Not only has Jason <laughs> scored, he's got a three-pointer. It can't get any better than this, right? Wow. Well, as I kid people, Jason's idol was Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the late Kobe Bryant. But uh, so in the next three minutes, he literally turns into Kobe. He starts making shot after shot. <laughs> and I'm going to fast forward and then come back and finish the story. Uh, four months later, Jason's at the ESPYs out in California. He's up for an ESPY for the greatest sports moment of the, of the year. And one of the other finalists is who only? His idol, Kobe. Yeah. Kobe oh, has scored cool. 83 points in an NBA game that year. And he was one of the four finalists, and Jason beat him out for the ESPY. So that, that was pretty cool. But anyways, to go back, I'll finish the story quickly, uh, is he – he starts making all these shots and, and, you know, most of them are threes. In fact, his only basket that you make a three, his foot was on the line, which I yelled at the official because, you know, you should have given him a break on that. But, uh, so when the smoke had cleared, he uh, he had scored 20 points. It was our leading scorer, which you guys mentioned. And uh, uh, But the other th- great thing is I'll close with this as far as this part of it is that uh, Jason now, you know, is, became this national and actually global celebrity. I mean, it, it spread all over the world. It was crazy. Yeah. And yet he has to go back and be our manager. Uh, and he knows that right up front because he didn't play during the season other than one game. But he embraced that. And the really cool thing is, you know, because one of the things I always talk about is the essence of teamwork is the fact that Jason, um, you know, embraced his role, and and we ended up winning our first Section Five title three and a half weeks later, mm-hmm. in front of a, you know, in, in our area of basketball, you know, it's I mean, it's people like it, don't get me wrong, but it's not like you know big time, and we we for the finals we usually play in our arena downtown, which seats about ten thousand. Usually for a championship game we'll get three, four, sometimes five thousand, but because we got so much media attention that year, we actually it was sold out which is you never see in our area, but that's kind of the media attention. And we ended up winning our first sectional title that year. And uh, so that was, uh, it was a pretty special year after a very dramatic, difficult first half of that season, for sure. So. Oh, thank you, Coach. Yeah. Yeah. 
My Boy, pleasure. As a coach, you kind of had it all. Yes. I mean, yes. 30 years of coaching and that, that four, well, basically, yeah, that, that five or six month time frame right there, you had every emotion possible as a coach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No doubt. Huh. So, Coach, and I, I've got a lot of stuff to come back to. There's been a lot of follow-up questions. Yeah. But if you could just share with us some of the key leadership things that you learned through your experience as a coach working with Jason, uh, a student with autism. What are some things that, because we have those, you know, we have students with autism walking around our hallways. And, and uh, what are some things that you learned well, you know, I think one of the things that, uh, and I'll, I'll share some different ideas for you, but one of the things, uh, one of our core values for our program was respect. And I think that that was something that we really built and spent a lot of time is that we were going to um, treat all people with respect. And, and that's why I think, although Jason initially, because, um, you know, uh, people not really understanding autism, but it was really cool to see how our players embraced him. He, he was like their little brother, you know, and just, uh, and so I think, you know, having core values, having clarity, you know, our, one of our other core values was growth and that, you know, Jason was a great illustration. And, you know, even though he didn't make the team every year, he strived to get better. He was always one of the guys in the weight room, little guy. So, uh, you know, I think having clarity of that. And then, you know, from a leadership standpoint, the other thing is, is, is I think, you know, I always really push young people. Uh, like one of my missions right now is to help young and emerging leaders. You know, I have a podcast. I'm working on a second book about that because leadership is so important. And, and I always really challenge young leaders is, you know, the first person you got to lead is yourself. And so one of the things I always talk to them about is who are you? You know, and, and then really your mission. You know, what is your personal mission? And that's something I really push. And, and when I established clarity of who I was, that really helped me immensely because I was clear now of my personal values, what I was going to stand for, what my expectations were. And I it really established clarity with my players that who I was and what we were looking for to be part of our program. So I think that was a really important thing. Um, you know, another thing, like I talk about seven keys uh, of leadership, you know, one of my presentations and the other one I'll mention right now, we can delve into any if you want others, but uh, is trust. And one, the other thing I, you know, when I do a presentation, I'll often ask, you know, how many people think it's important to have trust on a team? And I've never had anyone that didn't raise their hand. I mean, everybody believes trust is important. But then I push them. The next thing is I said, one of the things that helped us in turning programs around is we were clear on how we were going to build trust. We had a trust plan in, and you know, it was three components. One was that we were going to uh, be consistent with our actions and words. So we said something, we had to back it up with our action. Two is that we were going to base everything on telling the truth to each other so that, uh, you know, if we if the player lied to us, we really would come down hard on them. Telling the truth was very important. And then the third thing, because I, after my uh, debacle of my first coaching position, my other three, we were able to turn it around, is but what we took over programs that were losing. And so one of the things uh, that we really focused in, it was catching 
our kids doing things right mm -hmm. and, and really focusing more on the positive. Certainly we have times where we critique them, you know, that's part of leadership too. But I think one of the things is that when you get into a losing situation, they're already have a negative mindset and you got to change that mindset. So we get by being consistent and catching them, doing the things that, you, that you're looking for, I think is immensely helpful in getting them in the right mindset. All right, um, Coach, going to move on here. Next question. So what unique perspectives uh, does your journey give you that, um, that you find most useful when you lead? And there's three parts of this. So when you're leading your assistant coaches, let's start there. Um, what unique perspectives do you have in terms of leading assistant coaches, advice you have there? I'll start by the, this. Is I think success attracts success. So I think you, you really have to have clarity of, of what you're looking for with assistant coaches and also players. And uh, it's something that, you know, we, we talked about is that we wanted we over me guys. Mm -hmm. So it was really important that we focused on that. I wanted guys that were hungry, you know, that really uh, had a passion and, and loved the game of basketball and loved working with people. So even young kids in our case, and then, the third thing is, is I wanted people that were humble, uh, you know, as fortunately, you know, after my, a lot of struggles, I said, we won our first section five championship. Well, J-Mac actually came back and volunteered my staff for the last nine years. And we actually won six section five championships in my last 11 years. And we made the finals eight times. So one of the things that we really talked about is being hungry, being humble, and being we over me guys. So those are the things I looked for with our players and when I was recruiting staff. Okay. Um, next phase of that then, athletes. What uh, what perspectives in your journey helped you lead athletes? Well, I think, you know, one of my uh, components I talk about as simple as is, it's often very difficult because we forget, and that is, as a leader, you gotta lead by example. Uh, and, you know, like I, I was, you know, and there's a lot of different ways, but I, I was so big on leading by example that, you know, when things were tough, I had to keep my emotions under control. Uh, you know, I expected our players to be in great shape. So I, I always was in really good shape. Now I couldn't play with them towards the end of my career. I'm not going to kid you there, but like I could still go up in the weight room and do a core workout better than most of them. So, mm -hmm. you know, so there was different ways that, but I think, you know, one of the things we always talk to our players about is you are always on stage and that's something we talked about our staff and that you know how you present yourself and, and it, i was also looking for players that were going to be contributors on and off the court like well, our program mission statement or vision was to develop winners on and off the court and it was our job as a coaching staff to really teach them what it is to be a winner on the court. Certainly winning the game is part of that, but there was, there were other factors like were one, were they good teammates Two, were they good sports, you know, and then winners off the courts, you know, are, are you, are they students that are doing their best? Are they community members that are representing our school, our team in a positive way? Are we, you know, we always did a community service. So those are the things we were talking about is really building through the game of basketball, um, the people that we wanted to try to help uh, be successful in the biggest game, the game of life. Um, last one, I'm curious about this one because, you, you know, one of your specialties has been coming in and taking over programs that have been struggling and have that negative mindset. 
Um, and, and we've all seen over the years that that certainly can be um, sometimes the deepest and toughest to turn in the parent group. So how did you come in and engage parents and shift that mindset um, and get them on board with what you're trying to accomplish? Well, I, you know, I one thing is that I, when I took over programs, we would always come in and we would have a parents players meeting uh, initially when I, I took over the program. And then we always had a parents players meeting uh, with, you know, for me, we had five teams when I was coaching. We had two middle school teams and three high school teams. Well, the three high school teams, when they were all chosen, we would have a parents players meeting where all the players and parents came in. And uh, one of the things that we really, I learned was that you have to not only share your expectations, but you have to be open from a communication, like effective communication is one of my seven keys. And so I was really open to listening and one of the great activities that we did in our parents players meeting is we called it the expectations of the other groups. So what we would do is we'd get the parent groups together, the player of each team together, and then the coaching staff. And then what we would do is we would have one representative from each group stand up and say, okay, from the varsity parents, here are the three expectations we ask of the coaches. Here are the three expectations we ask of the players. And then the coaches would get up and do the same thing and the players would. So we had real clarity. What were our expectations? And, you know, and they weren't like, you know, win games. Um, you know, uh, certainly everybody wanted to win. But it was like, you know, if you, if practice ends at, at you know, 9 o'clock, are, are the, you letting them out at 9 o'clock? You know, so, you know, those are things, uh, you know. And, and so having clarity of the expectations was really important. And then really getting a clarity of protocol of how you, uh, you know, we, we, we would talk to parents and, you know, I would meet with them, but I would always really try to advocate to them that, you know, in my case, I was coaching boys. So to have their sons come in, if they, if they feel like they're being mistreated or, or treated unfairly, you know, come to the coach, let's talk about it, get it out and, and, and see if we can solve it at that situation. I want to come back and touch on something. I'm just curious. So in that, in the, the expectations meeting of the expectation groups, I'm curious what some of the more unique expectations the players shared with parents, what were their <laughs> expectations of their parents? Uh, you know, you know, a few of the ones I can remember is like one uh, having food after the games. Uh, another one was uh, making sure that, you know, they were there to pick them up, you know, at practice uh, at the end of practice uh, making sure that, um, you know, their uniform was washed, you know, I mean, so there were things, but, you know, at least they were getting clarity of what their sons were sure. working for. So, I mean, most of them were earth shattering or anything, but, okay. you know, uh, you know, sometimes you get a chuckle out of them, but, but it's good to get it all out there, you know, so we, we are all on the same page. Yeah. Simple. Those expectations were, I coach. I don't need, I just need you to feed me, love yeah. me, wash right. my clothes. Yeah. Give me a ride. Pick me up. Yeah. How, yeah. how simple. How simple. You're right. You know, Scott, take a, I'll add one thing that, you know, uh, and Aaron, uh, the answer, one that was always powerful and a lot of times it would come up is it said, don't embarrass us mm -hmm. in the stands. Yeah. yeah. And I think when, when, Parents hear kids say that 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 is that's an impactful moment of man yeah. they hear me and they pay attention and I could really throw them for a loop if I lose my cool up here so 
Right. Yeah. Coach, I want to, I want to turn back to Jason for just a minute. Okay. I was reading today. The dude is a marathon runner now. He is. And he qualified for the Boston Marathon and broke three hours. Um, I mean, that just tells you what kind of man he is. Um, can you talk about that? I mean, just that, that, sure. that is inspiring to me that mm-hmm. he, he took, and didn't he, did he just kind of, he quit coaching now, didn't he? He's actually still uh, helps out. Okay. He does, you know, I'm, I'm retired, so he doesn't help me anymore, but he helped me for my last nine years. And so uh, I'll give you the marathon story. And um, well, the, uh, how it's set up. So when Jason graduated, he didn't go to college. He actually started working at one of our local um, uh, grocery stores. And he's been involved in the school district, but he, he would come to games. And after a couple of years uh, being away out of our program, came into school one day and he sat down with me and says, coach, I really missed the program. Can I come back and help? And I said, sure. So he, as I said, he's my volunteer assistant. So he was, you know, he's working with me. In fact, I could, you know, cause I, until the pandemic, I used to travel quite a bit, you know, speaking to various things. And, and, you know, when I was still coaching and traveling, uh, you know, people would say, do you ever see J-Mac? And I'd start laughing. I said, see J-Mac. I see him every single day. <laughs> and when I don't see him, he texts me like a hundred times in the same day. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so our relationship only grew stronger uh, to get into the marathon. So he was a runner in high school, but just to give you a perspective in that game, he was about five, nine, 110 pounds. And he probably could bench press 55 pounds. I mean, mm-hmm. he was weak. He, well, I was wondering if he was going to get a growth spurt because his dad is 6'6", his mom's 5'2". So uh, he did. He grew five inches after high school. He's now six foot two, about 172 pounds. And he probably has body fat about 8%. Well, after being with me for a couple of years, he comes in the office one day and he says, coach, he goes, I love coaching, but I really miss being competitive myself, you know, because he was a runner in high school as well, but he was, you know, very average. Mm-hmm. But at this point now, he's gotten a lot bigger and stronger. And I said, uh, well, what are you going to do? He says, coach, I'm going to get back into competitive running. I said, really? I said, well, you know, we always, you know, talked a lot with our players about goals. So I said, well, Jay, what's your goal? And he says, I'm going to run the Boston Marathon. I said, well, see, I, I, I've never run a marathon, but I had a running background. So I did have some knowledge and I, and I knew you had to qualify for the Boston Marathon. So I said to him, I said, Jason, you got to qualify for the Boston. What's the qualifying time? He says, three hours and five minutes. And I, I don't know if you guys know too much about marathon. I can tell you. That's a fast marathon, yeah. three hours and five minutes for your first marathon. So I, I like almost fell off my chair and I was like, Jason, do you realize how fast he says, coach, I've gone back. He, he met with his former cross country coach. They started training together. And so he ran the Rochester marathon. And the first time he runs it, he runs it in three hours and two minutes. Mm-hmm. So he qualifies. And the crazy thing is he comes back a week later. He says, coach, I'm not going to the Boston this year. I said, why not? He says, I got to prove it to myself one more time. The crazy part is that year that he could have gone was the year of the bomb. Oh, so, oh wow. So it was just ironic. I mean, just crazy how that worked out. Yeah. So he, the next year he, he trains again, he runs the Rochester marathon. And this time he break, he does like 301. 
So, and he comes in all excited. He says, coach, I'm, I'm, I've signed up. I'm qualified. I'm going to Boston. I said, really? I said, what's your goal for Boston? He says, I'm going to break three hours. I said, Jason, you've never broke three hours in a marathon in Boston's a much more difficult marathon than Rochester. He goes, I know I've upgraded my training. <laughs> does it for, now he's run Boston three times, but the first time he ran Boston, he runs in 258 and change. And, I, you know, he just continues to inspire me because he's always finding ways that, you know, he can push himself and, you know, like a little sideline, not that he competes or anything, but, uh, you know, the other day we were talking and, he, and I said, Jason, how much you bench press now? And he says, Coach, the other day I had two, did 250 pounds. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I said, you couldn't do 50 pounds in high school. He goes, I know. So, uh, uh, so can you talk to me just a minute about, I, I think I read that, I mean, your motto is dreams come true, right? I mean, that's mm -hmm. a big part of your speaking. And, and yeah. Did that happen? I mean, after working with Jason, is that where that, comes from is his dream uh the hours he put in can you just tell me where that comes from and what it means to yeah, you yeah so you know when i um because uh you know i got thrust in the in the professional speaking world after uh you know jason that season mm -hmm. and you know i had done a little speaking in the basketball world but you know never on you know bigger stages like i have now and you know and i was just thinking about that uh, I, where I thought about that is like, you know what, Jason worked so hard for three years and his dream was to get into a basketball game, you know, he, and, uh, and so, and, and I said, you know, when I, what I learned is, is just observing him and certainly observing a lot of different players that have reached different goals and stuff is that, you know, what does it take to make your dreams come true? Cause you know, pretty much everyone has a dream. But what I found is most people believe they can't make their dreams come true. So like my first presentation was the speech was dreams really do come true. And, you know, obviously I share Jason's story, but then I talk about keys, um, you know, and some of them are overlap with my leadership, but, you know, like one is, you know, finding your passion. Like, you know, even though Jason wasn't a, a great basketball player, basketball was a major passion. So he mm -hmm. did anything in his power to try to get better and be part of a team. Like one of the other ones I talk about is how can you be a great teammate? And, you know, here's Jason never played uh, yet. He was one of the first ones there. He was always working with guys on the side, trying to help them any way you can. So I mean, he just learned a lot about in the fact that uh, you know, I coached as a head coach for 30 years. I never had a kid ever try out three straight years and not make the team. You know, like I've had kids that get caught and try it a second time, but I've never had kids a kid try out three times in a row. So that just goes, you know, one of the other things I talk about is perseverance. That never give up mindset that you're going to find a way. And so, uh, you know, uh, that why I called my uh, my book a coach in a miracle is you know uh, uh, it it hit me about two weeks after that season ended I'm like you know what's crazy is you know if Jason would have got in the game and scored a three pointer that would have just made my night and made my life as far as you know just to see him get into a game but then I start thinking when's the last time you saw somebody score twenty points at any level in three minutes right it just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And then the other cool thing, you know, about you talking about a great team is I told you that team was really divided that year. And I wasn't sure they loved Jason, but I wasn't sure how they were going to handle that. 
And I never asked the kids on the floor to pass Jason the ball yet. In those last four minutes, he was the only one that shot. And that just warmed my heart. In fact, I always used to, I, I still bust Jason's chops. And I'm like, Jason, I'm still looking for your first assist. You never passed the ball on to That's awesome. Oh, man. Thanks, Coach. Yeah, great. I, I'm not sure we'd even ask about uh, about that moment and what came out of that moment. Um, you've shared a lot of your reflections there, Coach. But I, what's one thing you saw? I, I know you like you just said. I mean, the guys you never asked the guys to pass Jason the ball. They just did because they wanted they wanted Jason to have his moment. But in the in the aftermath of that, the next couple of weeks, what impact did you see that have on the on the other kids? Um, it was teammates, um, and then that, that maybe had positive. I know you said you went and won the, the, the section championship, but just yeah. bigger things that you saw happen as a result of that with the with his teammates. Well, you know what? I think there was just a, a overall unity, not only the team, but certainly as a school, too. You know, the, the fact that just everyone uh, was – in fact, I kid people that, you know, the next day when I came to school after that game – I was a physical education teacher. I didn't teach one moment that they watched the game film the whole game. <laughs> you know, it, uh, it was just unbelievable. And I remember kids coming up to me and saying, you know, this is going to get on ESPN. And the interesting thing is, you know, the one thing I felt really good about, and I'll get back to try to answer your question the best mm -hmm. I can, is that I felt I did it for all the right reasons. We had no media there. It was not set up. I do, you know, really admire the other team because I had talked to the coach and they were great sports about it. But uh, the only thing back then was I, my only responsibility with the media is after, after back then I had to call it into our local newspaper and they, they used to put a box score in a little article. And, and uh, I thought for sure, what I told them that our team manager that's on the autism spectrum scored 20 points in less than four minutes. I thought for sure he would get a headline. And they, you know, the ironic thing is we tied for our division title. And the next day, I, I barely slept that night because I, I thought that was, you know, I could see the headline. J-Mac leads Trojans to victory. And it said Trojans tie for division title. And it mentions Jason in the article. It barely said it. So when kids came up and said it was going to get on ESPN, I said, ESPN, and we get a headline in our Democratic Chronicle. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and, and actually, you know, you talk about, but try to answer your question, Aaron, how it just kind of united because uh, Jason's speech pathologist, he was at the game. I barely knew him. You know, he was on the other side of the building, worked with Jason for four years, but I, I didn't. He came to the game. He had never come to a game before. He was so touched by what he saw that the next day at school, he called one of our local TV stations and said, you've got to come and borrow the video from the coach. He goes, it's the best thing I've ever seen in sports. Mm -hmm. And you know what? If he hadn't done that, I wouldn't have done that because that's not why I did it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, but then once he did it, Oh my God, from, uh, from going from, you know, not much of a thing in our newspaper to, you know, like five oh. days later, we're on good morning America, you know, a couple months later we're on Oprah. I mean, it's just, you know, it was crazy one wow. thing after another. So, I, cool. uh, one more story that I heard that I just, I laughed out loud the article I was reading was back. I don't know when it was, but when he met George W. Bush at the airport, Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, can I call you J-Mac? And he said, you can call me George W. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
In fact, uh, uh, he got a, a kind of an elbow in the ribs from his mother because uh, he, he was going to address him as President Bush, not George W. So, I'll give you one little sideways story that you, you'll uh, is that, you know, because we've done a lot of things over the, you know, in different parts of the country. And I remember, I, I don't remember where we were, but. We uh, we were at some kind of um, dinner before we, we were brought in to speak the next day, and he meets the mayor. And the thing, you know, because I've been around Jason, all if you don't talk about something that he's interested, in, which is mostly sports, mm-hmm. um, he's literally going to walk away from you. And so the mayor is starting to talk about, you know, her city and all this. And, and all of a sudden, he just starts walking. <laughs> I'm like, Jason, that's the mayor. <laughs> yeah. that's uh, awesome. I don't care. He's not talking about sports. Yeah. 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 Better meet them where they're at or they'll walk yeah. away. Yeah. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah. If you, could, if you could just go back. Oh, go ahead. Did you have a follow up there, Aaron? No, no, no. You're good. Oh, okay. All right. uh, I can talk to a young Jim and give him some advice. What? Well, because I screwed up a lot when I was in my 20s, the, the one thing that I would really tell my younger self is get clarity of your why and who you are uh, much sooner. I think I would have been a, a much better leader and coach uh, if I wouldn't have struggled so much in my twenties, uh, because I didn't have any direction. I was kind of that ball that kept bouncing from wall to wall and, you know, and trying to find quick fixes and, and they're not out there. So mm-hmm. I, I think the, really the thing that, uh, I learned a little bit later, um, that, and that's why one of my goals right now is I want to help young leaders because of some of the mistakes that I made early. Yeah. Um, but it would be really clarity of what my value system, what my mission was, and then developing that and, and getting buy-in from the team of our vision and our mission. Uh, because when I got that clarity, that really helped our our, our success and our program. Uh, and then the last thing that I'll say about that is early in my career, I was always thinking, you know, what's the next play or, or you know, or how can I, win more games. That's really what it came down to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by the end of my career, the best thing was, is I really felt, you know, how can I make these kids better people? And that, that change of mindset, because it's, it's a fascinating thing is when you, you uh, can bring a group of people together to work for a common goal and show the care and the respect and the love it's amazing. You know, you may not win a championship a year, but you know, you'll do a lot better than you think you will. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, that. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, coach. My pleasure. Well, Aaron, I think uh, you're going to leave us with a closing thought. And uh, before he does that, uh, coach, I just want to thank you for taking some time out of your evening and uh, just sharing your story with us and J Mac's mm-hmm. story. And uh, I've got a couple pages of notes here that I'll go back over, but uh, I mean, it's just, it's been a thrill to have you on our podcast. My pleasure. If I can help anybody, uh, I'll just mention, uh, I have a website coach, jimjohnson.com. I have a free newsletter and a free blog and uh, you know, and uh, we do a lot of videos and that kind of thing. So if I can ever help anybody, uh, uh, and it was, it was great to be uh, on your show tonight. I had a lot of fun. So. Coach, Thanks thank you so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I just appreciate you.
you. Um, you know, I'm glad we connected, you know, on LinkedIn and I appreciate you being with us. It's my awesome. pleasure. I hope it's someday to get a chance to meet all you guys uh, in person. It'd be great. So yeah, that'd be absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. absolutely. Boy, I'm not quite sure where to go after all that. I tell you what, it's, it's one of those things I vividly remember the ESPN stories and seeing that over and over and over for about a week and all that stuff. And to, to get the background story, Coach, thanks for being here. My pleasure. So closing thoughts on the day. I'm going to steal this one from, honestly, I'm stealing this from church this morning. My uh, Jody had a good one this morning. Um, that I thought about a bit as the day is gone. And um, she's been talking on connecting to the vine. And that's a whole nother podcast. We could talk about that down the end. But I started thinking about that in our world past, again, what Jody was talking about in church this morning. But just in us, we constantly talk about the connection. We talk about um, taking advantage of those moments that, that we've got with other ADs. And I guess ADs who've been doing this thing for a while, the worst time to talk to an AD is late February, early March, man, because we are tired. It's been a grind. Basketball coaches the same way, man. January and February just just beat on you. Um, it's it's weather. I mean, you can't go a day without checking the weather ten times a day. You, it's is the can we take buses? Are the officials can I get officials if I reschedule? Can I make my team play five games? It's it is just nonstop. Uh, it's a tough time of year for us as ADs. It's tough to stay on top of everything. It's tough to keep the main things, the main things, and have the conversations with your coaches and your athletes that you have to have uh, to keep them positive. Um, it's tough to lead in January, February. So taking from this morning and this idea of connecting to the vine, I guess I would encourage all of us out there to take a moment maybe this week and think about who am I going to connect to in the next month, the next four to six weeks? Who can I connect to who's going to be somebody who's going to breathe positivity into my day, somebody who's going to help me keep my focus on the big things, hold me accountable to the things I say are important to me? Who can I connect to that when I'm down or tired or, or feeling the, the effects of the grind is going to pick me back up and get me going the next day? Um, and think about that person, be intentional about connecting with that person this week and then keeping that connection going so that when we get to in March 5th, March 10th, um, we're not screaming for the end of June uh, to get here already. We're not so tired and so drugged down that we just don't think we can do it anymore. Um, I think we let ourselves get too run down before we try to reach out and make those connections. So I'm going to encourage all of us to connect to that vine. Who are the folks that breathe life back into us uh, when it gets tough? Great thought. I, I think I think what you said there at the end, I think sometimes we wait till it's almost too late. Yeah. We wait until man, I got toxic, you know, but yeah, that's a great point. Connect earlier. And, uh, I, it's very good. Thank you. Well, again, thank don't, you everyone. Don't for that. What's that? Don't forget. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, are you saying it's pot calling kettle black or something? Man? Is that what you're getting at? <laughs> I, preaching I'll just say, don't forget. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, we appreciate your support of Beyond the Bench. Uh, again, I want to thank Coach Johnson uh, for being here from uh, out in New York and uh, wish him the best. God God bless you and your family. And uh, I would you. say I would say good luck to the Bills. But, uh, you know, maybe when, uh, <laughs> when, when the Chiefs and the Bills play in the championship game or, or next week, uh, maybe we'll text each other a little bit. Yeah. I, I, I said I'd never be a Bills fan, and then when he's – yeah, there you go. Yep, good point. Good yep. point. 
And I, I want one final thank you to our sponsors, Hometown Ticketing, Gipper, Varsity Bound HQ, Super Fan Inc., Jamie Beckler, and the Leadership Playbook. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Uh, thank you for listening. Be blessed, everyone.